Hey, happy Sunday, baby brother. How you doing? Oh, all right. How are you doing? Good, good. Episode 11? Yeah, into the double digits now. Double digits, double digits. It's a long way before we get to triple digits, so I guess we may as well. Yeah, it. no, absolutely. Absolutely, it's a long actually, way. Actually, we were in double digits last week and no one cared, so. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it either. Yeah. So this week, um, one of my favorite little movies, uh, and, and I think, you know, obviously growing up under my uh, tutelage, uh, I don't know if it's one of your favorites, but Moscow on the Hudson, which again yeah. is, uh, I, I think we've been kind of floating around the 80s a bit here and there. A golden uh, era, yeah. Yeah, 1984 movie, uh, Paul Mazursky wrote it and directed it uh robin williams maria conchita alonzo clevant derricks alejandro ray savelli kramaroff alia baskin and yakov smirnoff what a country what a country what a country great little movie and our line is what decadence what decadence yes um yeah uh you know uh I, I'm of course reminded that this is that sort of response was uh, I think it was Khrushchev's response to coming to like a grocery store for the first time in the US yeah. that was like look at all the stuff on the shelves yeah you know the land of milk and honey right I mean just um, anything anytime everywhere right yeah. whatever you want and uh, so our our uh, um, our lead here, uh, Mr. Williams, who got a crash course in Russian, apparently, and I'm the sure saxophone, he plays a musician, um, defects as part of the Russian National Circus or some such thing, and he defects uh, in the middle of a Bloomingdale's in New York City, and, <laughs> yeah, oddly enough, uh, and starts the process of, of cultural assimilation from Russia, which was actually uh, Berlin was the stand-in for Russia, oh, as it turns that. out, yeah, production notes. And uh, and so, well, very dark gray, you know, and then comes over here and everything's, you know, bright, and, and, and that's where you hear this line. They're on a bus tour, and Kramarov, who plays um, Boris, one of the KGB... Uh, henchmen, the park chicks, whatever you want to call it. He he's looking out the window and he just sees all this, the light and the glamour, and you know, he, and he and he says those uh, words, infamous words. You know, yeah. I think it's interesting just to, and and not till years later, do you really see the stark comparison between socialism and communism, and then. Western capitalism, right? And so the the movie takes on a much deeper meaning uh, than just, hey, here's a guy that left a circus and defected to the United States, falls in love with a, you know, beautiful um, Maria Conchita Alonso, and lives happily ever after, right? Yeah. It's much deeper than that. And, uh, you know, not, not espousing either side... But 
Well, I'll take care of that. Obviously. I know you will. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to. That's why I wanted to do this movie. Uh, you know, because get get me in trouble with all your all your friends. And yeah, no, that's all right. With our one with our with our one listener, they actually Mom. they love you to death. By the way, oh, so they, nice. they they really love you to death. I've so. been told I'm the more charming one, but I won't. Right. Know the things that Mom said. Um, that's all right. Um, um, yeah. So the. The, the word decadence, yeah. you know, when you hear it in the context in which it's used, seems to talk about all the lavishness and luxury and... Yeah. But the root of the word is really decay. Yeah. And it talks about decay, right? Yeah. Whether it's, you know, moral or economic or social or whatever it is, the root of the word decadence is the word decay. Yeah. And I find that fascinating. I love uh, etymology is great. Uh, yeah, if you've never, you know, if you've never spent much time with it, it is more fun than you would have imagined at like at twelve or thirteen to spend time finding out what words, you know, what the roots of words are. It is ridiculous amounts of fun. But go on, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, I, I mean that's really, you know, I, I I think that's where the story really starts with our movie, right? In that, yeah. you know, did did he did he make the right move? You know, I mean, obviously, a lot of his freedoms, be they social, economic, political, intellectual, artistic, whatever, were very limited in the Soviet Union. Yeah, and here he is. He's in this new land great scene grocery store aisle confronted with all these jars of coffee you know Folgers Maxwell House you know he's just Is that, and he, did you say he had, Folgers 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 he calls it Folgers well, that's right I was like I was like are you saying Folgers or did he No no he calls it Folgers but he calls it Folgers because you know he's Russian and and he he loses it he, he yeah. has this you know mental kind of breakdown uh, because he's just so overwhelmed, and you know, you, you fast forward to 2020, 36 years, and just imagine now you walk on down the coffee and tea aisle, it, it it's unending. It, it's unending, right? It, yeah. It's it's beyond uh, what some might suggest as as decadent. Um, you know, certainly l- luxurious. Uh, just at your neighborhood grocery store. Forget going to a specialty shop or yeah. the reserve bar at Starbucks or whatever else we've morphed into. But yeah. Um, so, wh- where have we come? You know, in 35 years since this movie was made. Oddly enough, this movie uh, I was as I was doing background research opened on April 6, 1984. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So there you go. A little. Uh, um, you know, familiar connection there. So oh, yes, uh, yes. Oh, that's interesting. How old would she have been? She would have been what? Two, two, yeah, two, two. yeah, two, yeah. So, uh, so cool. interesting, interesting date there. A little connection to the movie, yeah, yeah. but um, so I, I have so many things to say as you can probably imagine. Um, one, I, I, I want to put this into like the the time period in which we're talking, which is the mid eighties. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's a big change happening in American politics, in Soviet politics. You've got Gorbachev, who's seen as this reformer, 
Um, he's he's sort of he's the second generation, right? Because you've just had this string of um, hilarious hilarious deaths of like Soviet premiers because they had this imagined thing of wanting to keep. Uh, you know, you had to be alive at the time of the revolution or whatever to become premier for like a period. And so you get all these guys that are like in their 80s that are just like dropping dead constantly. So um, uh, if I recall correctly, a Saturday Night Live joke was uh, Andropov Pufkaya. Uh, <laughs> so, right. I don't know why I remember that. Um, but anyway, um, so you have a big change happening there. Um, and the push from the Reagan administration is, of course, uh, towards, towards openness, uh, which is... Glasnost, uh, our sort of big favorite word from the eighties. Um, it's it's towards this like be open, and I think Gorbachev, in some ways, of course, is part of that. You know, well, is, is obviously a huge part of that. Uh, was that was his sort of baby? Was like we don't have to live the way we've been living. Um, but the question that sort of all you know came up was like, well, then what is it that you're going to be? What is it you're going to be part of? And of course. Now we've seen that, yes, how great it was that the Soviet Union, you know, ended and uh, the Berlin Wall fell and families hugging and all this stuff. And what has it given us but Vladimir Putin and this oligarchical system that's basically the mob um, that's running at least Russia. Uh, We won't get into speculating beyond that because it'll just sound like tinfoil hat territory. But... um, I, I would argue that in some ways there was um, a benefit to the tension between the two countries, uh, between the two sort of ideological states, that in the U.S. it caused us to do things um, not only economically that were beneficial towards larger populations, but also in terms of technological advancement, we were pushing ourselves, right? Um and that we've stopped all that because there's no one, there's no competition in that sense anymore. There's not that feeling of like, we've got to beat the Russians to the moon. We've got to beat the Russians in education. We've got to be, beat the Russians towards uh, more freedom. There's none of that anymore. And I think that that's where we've ended up is now that there's no competition between the two ideological sort of states that exist, there's just rampant, unchecked decadence. We can let the morals fall as far as they want because who cares? Who's going to take us over, right? There's no, there's no competitive sort of uh, spirit anymore. And I think you know somebody listening to this might say, "Well, what about China?" It's like, yeah, what about China, who basically, uh, you know, is sort of a a weird form of capitalism, which it's a totalitarian capitalism. Uh, you know, I, I could go on this for hours nobody wants yeah. that but yeah. there's 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 unchecked decadence and the thing about decadence is uh what makes it enjoyable is the check right what makes something sort of subversive is that there is something you're pushing against right and now that there's nothing to push against there's just terror <laughs> there's just you can have all of the coffee you want in the world but you're still going to be working at your Amazon factory job because there's no one who cares about your well-being anymore. Um, and I think that's where we've ended up in the 36 years um, since since that. And uh, also, real quick point, uh, 
wow, I can't believe it's been how many years since Robin Williams has been gone now? Like six years? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm on a ranch. Yeah. You go on. Yeah, rest in peace, right? <laughs> I mean, I was yeah. just going to say, right? So, you know, it's interesting. So, and I may have uh, erred earlier. So, he his character was Vladimir Ivanov, right? And, yeah. um, you know, Which is a great generic-sounding Russian name. Yeah. Great, yeah. Vladimir, you know, um, and uh, Ivanov. And so as I'm thinking about today's program, I'm thinking about what, how he would have reacted to the state of things, the state of affairs today in, in terms of, you know, where he, he jumped off from Mother Russia back in, you know, fictionally, of course, in 1984. But a lot of people did, right? There were a lot of defections mm-hmm. uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, some of them big, some of them small. Uh, but certainly, I think a lot of newsmakers back in the day, what would he think today? You know, he's, he's looking around and he's going, yeah. you know, I've come to, uh, to the, you know, promised land whatever whatever you want to call it and and I, I I think certainly one could argue that there are worse places to be right on the earth certainly. right and certainly. um you could be in Flint far. versus New York City <laughs> you could be in what Flint in Flint versus yeah, New York right. City uh and so the, the 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 crazy thing is is that in another big defection movie all completely different uh, sort of movie was Hunt for Red October, uh, but same kind of thing, right? There was this this dream or this concept of this idyllic state yeah. and of perfection, right? Socially, economically, culturally, yeah. you could do anything you wanted to do, and it was going to be unfettered. But I think that. The, I think my, my theory is is that folks that were going through this process of defecting were seeking more than just the material aspects of what they saw around them right they were very good they yeah. were they were seeking that to to take forward with what they believed was their calling what was their raison d'etre right what their, their yeah. reason for being and so I I would have again I'll I'll put forward a hypothesis. I think he would be a little disappointed today, right? I think you're right. And he's yeah. My brother's shaking his head violently, um, nodding, 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 nodding. And I mean, it's still shaking, right? I it's, mean, it's shaking. a pause. I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing <laughs> right. with you. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Right. And and so I I, I think about that. And, you know, I think about what we thought, you know, I was a child of the 80s. I was, when this movie came out, I was not yet 14. I think we'd just become citizens that summer, right? In 83, yeah. 83, uh, prior summer. And so, you know, just an interesting time all the way around. And I, I, trying to think back, thinking about what I would have thought about 2020 I think it would have been so far away 
and so out of my mind because I lacked the maturity at that time that perhaps a Vladimir Ivanov would have had. I couldn't imagine what today would be like, right? Yeah. Um, I, okay. I, I think I think we all just imagined. Well, we'll have nicer digs, and we'll have nice cars, and all that sort of stuff. And and all that's come true, right? I mean, sure. for me anyway. Uh, and and I'm grateful for that. But is there something missing, right? Is there something we we talked about the the void within several several weeks ago? And isn't um, that what every episode is about, though? No, no. It, well, yeah, it could be. It could be. It's like you could go talking about that. I could go talking on about that. Yeah. But are we, has there been a decay, right? Or has there been an improvement? You know, and and what would have what would Vladimir have thought um, if he had been around today? Um, and surely he would have been. He would have just been probably in his mid thirties, so he would have been. 65 or 70 years old, getting ready to retire, former Soviet citizen, musician, artist. But he looks around him and he goes, no. Or yeah. yes. Or how does he react? Um, well, I think, I think you nailed it, by the way. Um, I think there are two freedoms. And I think you, you bring up a great movie, which is Hunt for an October, because uh, Marco Ramius... Um, Sean, Sean Connery's character is not seeking stuff. He's not seeking um, cars or wealth. He's not seeking, um, you know, the latest iPhone. He's seeking a different kind of freedom. And I think that we in 2020, uh, especially <laughs> uh, in this country, have a bad. Uh, understanding of what it means to be free and what I mean by that is um, we imagine freedom as being able to go to the grocery store and see 75 different types of coffee that we can buy we imagine freedom as uh, you know different flavors of pop-tarts plus the off-brand pop-tarts plus there's toaster pastries don't forget uh, the organic Pop-Tarts. The organic. There's, Annie's there's some or whatever kind of, they're called. There's some kind of Pop-Tart, branded Pop-Tart that's like a simple Pop-Tart. Basically, uh, production and capitalism has gotten so good at what it does that you can go into the store and you will see something that you want, that you feel caters to you. And that is how we imagine freedom. That the ability to go to the, to the Chevy car lot and buy a car in the exact color we want with the heated seats with the th with all those options is what we imagine is freedom and you know it's not i mean it's it's really in yeah, and i think I, it goes beyond our borders i mean i think oh, that I, I, i'm just that talking whole concept has been you know wherever it started Absolutely. i think that 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 has become the ubiquitous the the general appreciation for Yes. Freedom. And I think you're really talking about economic freedom, right? In, I, I in am. In the purest sense, right? So Right. And, um, and I think that that's the distinction between the two movies, is, is you don't really, in Moscow and the Hudson, get into, why would an artist want to leave the Soviet Union? Why would that character, you know, why does Vladimir want to come to the United States? It's not just because he sees a bunch of stuff. It's that 
I mean, we can imagine that there's more to his freedom than that. Mm-hmm. And, and we can look at the examples that we have of people that have left, that it was not about stuff. It was about the intellectual freedom to say and do and participate in the process. And, you know, when um, people are always like, ah, oh, Stalin's a bad guy. It's like, yeah, Stalin's a bad guy. Did you expect me to stand up for him? Like, just because I have those, you know, Marxist left-leaning beliefs doesn't mean that I am in favor of any kind of totalitarian society. Like, we, I think we've done a really good job in this country over the last hundred and hundred years or so um, of telling the story that if you believe this one thing, you're immediately against any kind of intellectual freedom, the freedom of speech, etc., when the truth is really not that simple. Um, and I think... Uh, getting into the mid-80s, like, that was what I grew up with, right? Was that if you're, the Soviet Union is bad because they keep you down and they don't let you do what you want, they don't let you buy the stuff that you want, and if you wanted to buy the stuff, it's, they don't have it anyway. And, and in fact, the idea was that early on was production would be geared towards the masses, right? That, like, we were going to make sure that everyone was fed. Not that everyone was fed well, just that everyone was fed. And when you have sort of this opposing force on that front of making sure that they, you you want to destroy that system, and we can get into that on a different yeah, yeah. discussion, but when you have an opposing force to that at all times, you cannot keep that up. So now you get into the competitive spirit from the other side, which, you know, the Soviet Union should have at some point said, you're right, we're not going to go to the moon. We don't care about the moon. All of our citizens are educated. We have a 95% literacy rate. Um, You know, everyone has free health care, blah, blah, blah. And instead they got sucked into the sort of Western capitalist, like let's build and buy and and all that mode, right? Because it was about competition. so I, I think in some ways getting into the sort of mid-80s aspect of that is like I think you see a couple of movies that come out in the mid-80s, right? That are sort of Soviet characters that break free and are here to buy stuff and live a happy life and, and you know, free sex and free everything else, right? Uh, that, they, that they were oppressed in their old country. But in, in Moscow and the Hudson specifically, I feel like we never get into that. It's always the sort of... I mean, it's supposed to be funny, right? It's supposed to be kind of a yeah. comedy. I mean, it's, it's a little more dramatic than that, but... Um, well, one of the reviews that I read, you know, the reviewer yeah. kind of says that, that it didn't really finish. Yeah. The movie didn't didn't complete, you know, the thought, and, and I think that's probably what he was talking about in terms of, you know, you don't get to see that aspect of it, and, and we're now seeing it, and of course, you know... Again, I think we live a very privileged life mm-hmm. and, you know, very grateful and, and, and all those things. You know, I think what's been neglected in that process is that that intellectual freedom um, because we believe that because we have economic freedom, which up until recently had really never been challenged. Yeah. And then we hit upon this thing, right? Yeah. Where yep. it was challenged and... We, we have to, well, you know, by God, I'm not going to be restricted in how I can buy or travel or whatever it is. And, well, then you're making a life or death choice, not just for yourself, but for others as well. And so then this concept of the social contract comes up and, 
and you know respect for your fellow being human beings we won't even we'll get into the other beings at some point I'm sure on the program but that that piece has then pushed us into a struggle of hey the intellectual freedom side says I should do what's best for not just myself but for everyone yeah. right and the economic freedom piece says no 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 it's about me only yep. right and and I think that that is a um, that's where we have become and that is to me that's the decadence right yeah that's the decay that's the fall and you know Absolutely. can we ever resurrect ourselves um, you know in in a philosophical sense or for those that you know in, in a religious sense pull ourselves out of this quagmire of uh, unsettled, behavior and 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 you know un- indiscriminate activity um, yeah. just because we feel like we can right and you know it's it's interesting you said 75 coffees I think was what you used I think that's probably about half of what you know, right. if you walked into anywhere you'd be you'd be you know you'd, you'd be a 150 easily and, and don't even get me into ice creams right i mean yeah. it's it's ridiculous but the the concept of what you were describing you know in, in marketing terms we would call mass customization right so yeah it's mass but it, it feels custom because you put the marketing message behind it and 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 yeah. the glitz and the grammar and and uh, the language of oh this is just for you and then that resonates and it tugs on heartstrings and the yeah. emotions and and what gets left behind is this filter the intellect that says oh wait 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 you know that coffee only marginally tastes different than this other coffee why yeah. do we need both well someone has you know too efficient market theory and things like that come back and said hey you know we we can actually make this stuff you know uh, in terms of marginal cost for two cents less than this guy can yeah. and you know all, all that math that's behind it I think it's a you know um, to say that it's a slippery slope this far into it you know <laughs> we've slipped uh, down w- the slope <laughs> would, would be you know it, it's it's a it, it would be um I don't know, poor judgment on my part to, to even say that, but, you know, then is there something, and it'll be interesting to find this in the movies, that, you know, is there something that's pulling us back the other way at some point? Yeah. And I don't know if there is, and I don't know if it can be done. I, I'd like to think myself a bit of an optimist, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I think we, we hit upon this a few weeks ago, that the only thing that can make a real change in political economy um, to get slightly technical with it, is crisis that we see in uh, the response to the last months that, you know, the people in charge who ostensibly are trying to balance uh, lives versus economy, um, those that are on the side of the economy, it, it's, it's almost an erasure of the death and destruction, Right. They're like, well, it's not that big a deal. You know, grandma was going to get sick at some point of something anyway. It's, it's going to be fine. Um, but you need to be able to go out and buy stuff, 
you need to go out and be able to we have to support the economy we can't have people sitting at home you know not working because your life is meaningless unless you're out producing and and that to me is is the height of moral decay that that lives basically don't matter um but what does matter is how well you know the economy is doing that we measure ourselves on that front is is i mean it's it's one of the reasons that i have the the beliefs that i do that um especially on an economic sense right that you know what are we going to prioritize and ultimately i think um there's a little bit of pulling back of the curtain um in this last few months i don't think it's going to last um long term but i think there's a little bit of like wait a minute like you guys have been pushing this narrative of you know you know being alive and all these things matter and yet you're letting people get ill and die because you're concerned about the economy over any individual's you know existence um i think for a lot of people that's been a wake-up call i again i don't think it'll last um because i i'm i'm skeptical on this front <laughs> you know I, I think people are just so interested in going back to the way things were before um and I, I think they're gonna find out here in the coming months that we're not going back. Um, it's the, 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 the crisis is getting worse. Um, it's not getting better. We've done nothing. Um, we've slowed it slightly until people got tired of dealing with it. Um, now you have people really putting their lives at risk uh, in order to get back to normalcy. Uh, and, and that's you know, uh, I think we're going to see, you know, I think uh, Dr. Fauci said it perfectly. It's like, we're not worried about a second wave because we're still not done with the first wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that we're going to see, I mean, if you saw the, the curve, there's like the peak, well, coming from your perspective, it's like the peak, and then it comes down and it's going back up again because we haven't solved any of the issues at the heart of it because we can't stop the machine. Um, do you remember... Um, Nixon, like the Oliver Stone movie. Um, it's been a long time. There's a scene where he goes to the uh, uh, Lincoln Memorial. I don't know if this ever really happened. I, I, Stone, it's hard to know, and I've never looked it up. But um, he gets accosted by a bunch of you know protesters, and this young woman says, "Like you can't stop it, can you? Like even you, as the president of the United States, are not powerful enough to stop the machine." And in this case, she's talking about Vietnam and the sort of economic yeah. thing behind it yeah. it's like it's like no there's there's no one really capable of saying stop and certainly not our politicians certainly not this current crop of, of leaders uh, I'm air quoting um, so we're always kind of at the whim of the economy that they will you know <laughs> again sorry for the tinfoil hat listener um, but you know we're at the whim of of an economy that's willing to let us go as individuals in order to save the system that, that prospers a few. Um, yeah. And that, you know, I, I think our, our character would come back from that and say, that's not what I thought I was leaving for. And I think... Yeah. I think that's in stark contrast to what they equated with decadence and what we would say is decadence, right? Sure. Um, I think it's different. So I mean, I have the advantage. I have the advantage of being a lot smarter than those people. So, (laughs) 
All right, I think it's my turn. This it week is your turn. This for week. the big question. Yeah. Yeah. So this this comes under the banner of what would you do when you grow up? Oh God. Uh, and so, you know, the the thought came to me, and I don't I don't guess it's related necessarily to the topic this week. Yeah. But you know, you're a uh, MFA from Brown, PhD from Illinois State, and very exciting. Um, yeah, very exciting. What would you have done different if you had a choice? Oh God. What would you have? What field or line would you have taken, and what would you be doing right now? Yeah, I, you know, there's there's the kind of um, there's a there's a funny moment. I was with um, probably uh, in just after college, maybe we were home, and um, David Smith, uh, friend of the show, um, who will hopefully appreciate the shout out, uh, was was at our parents' house, and Dad was like, you know, you know, you're you're gonna go to law school, you're gonna do these things, and. And David said, what makes you think that Amish wouldn't be working pro bono for some, like, group just because he had gone to law school? And and Dad was like, you're right. Like, he would have been in the same boat. It's just a different boat slightly, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I spend way more, uh, you know, time at 2 a.m. debating this uh, with myself than I really probably should. Um, I don't know. I think... Uh, my main regret is that I never really developed a good work ethic. Uh, I am. <laughs> you know, I think I, I would have. He says after three degrees, yeah. uh, never had a good work I, ethic. I feel like yeah. I should have worked harder. Um, and not gotten as far. And, and not got right. Yeah, the great line from uh, which, which we're going to come to. We're going to come to the. Uh, the we're going to come to that. Yeah. That's right. That's going to be uh, on the show. By the way, I think there'll be a hunt for Red October uh, episode uh, down the road sure. as well. Um, yeah. But I, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think in some ways um, law school would have been an interesting choice um, if I were smarter and willing to work at it. Um, in some ways, my interests are still there in terms of, like, dealing with policy things, etc. Although, I mean, in some ways, I haven't, like, excluded an interest in policy in what I do now. Like, I'm... I'm certainly more interested in educational policy than I think I would have been um, otherwise. I don't know. Um, I, I was just literally, I think maybe in the last 24 hours, um, was was thinking about what I would have preferred to major in, um, what choices I would have made differently in terms of education, etc. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, I, I would have focused more then on, um, you know, I was a history major, which I haven't, which I do use, but I haven't like done anything more formally with. Um, I was sort of studying. I mean, I was I was in history, but I was taking a lot of English classes. So I mean, that's obviously where I've gone, and I'm I'm, you know. I'm not sure. Um, I do like the sort of more scholarly stuff that I do, and I feel like if I had started a little sooner, I wouldn't be uh, 37 and feeling like I'm just now catching up with adulthood. Um, that maybe I would have done a lot of the reading work that I'm doing, I've done in the last five years of the PhD, maybe I would have done it sooner. Um, but I don't know what would be necessarily difference uh i like to think that my sort of political this and that would be roughly the same um 
I don't know. And and if the question is whether or not I would have stuck with poetry and an MFA, um, probably not. Like I, I I do adore it and I do love it and I do love publishing and I, I you know it is the main focus of my existence. But I think I would have just channeled that energy into something else. Um, you know, whatever would have come along that, that you know, fulfilled the same need. Um, at that time, it was the thing that did, and I, I don't regret, certainly, getting an MFA. I mean, I love it, and I, I you know, for the most part, I'm oh, sure. very happy with my career. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy is, like, the community of it, but one thing that, you you know, you start to realize as you get, you get older is, like, you make the community. It wasn't that this community was great and I discovered it somehow. Like there are many great pockets of smart people doing smart things and this is just the one that I happened to fall into uh, at the time that I was sort of looking for that. So, um, you know, I it's hard to say. I, I don't know what I'd rather be doing. Certainly nothing else. I think I probably would have ended up attempting to do the same thing I am now, which is working in academia and teaching. Um, you know, some people are really attracted to the teaching side of it. I, I am not one of them. I mean, I do love teaching, but in the sense that it is an out, outgrowth of the research and intellectual work that I'm doing. Um, so that is what's fascinating to me. Uh, and I think that could have worked out in, you know, a handful of other fields. Um, not just poetry and English and literature and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and most of, mostly what I, I teach now, or when I was teaching at least, uh, was using literature to sort of deal, delve into these like other political and cultural issues. So that may have shifted slightly, right, that if I was, you know, a history professor, um, great line from uh, American president, by the way, um, that uh, I would have just been doing that in a different context, right? It would have been much more about the sort of historical context of things versus using literature now to dive into those things. So, I mean, I think that's maybe what would be different. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I've always thought, and, you know, I've talked about this, that you kind of always had this strong draw to what you're doing today yeah. and, and I think probably more so than you know that there was a plan and you know you, you you kind of you knew what that was and maybe not right away yeah. but certainly it felt like by the time you had finished your undergrad yeah. you, you had a really good idea about where you were going so I've always been curious well if he hadn't been doing this uh, what would he have been doing today and so, therefore, the question. So, um, you know that line in um, another movie we'll get to, broadcast news, where he's like, you know, maybe if tonight had gone well, I wouldn't be saying any of this. Maybe if I had felt more successful in my poetry career, I wouldn't be saying any of this now. But uh, it's hard to say. Um, yeah. Now, right now, it just feels decadent. This podcast is hosted by Anchor and is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and just now on Overcast. Oh, and if you like it, tell someone, maybe. And if you hate it, tell someone that you don't like, I guess. I don't know.